MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. Today, the Department of Homeland Security compiled intelligence reports on journalists who's, who published leaked documents while Cuccinelli relaxed oversight of the DHS intelligence office. Dem lawmakers pressed Nunes for details on anti-Biden packages he received from a pro-Russian Ukrainian official. Oleg Deripaska is suing Mnuchin again. Michael Cohen is given the green light to publish his book. Postal service backlogs spark worries that ballot delivery could be delayed in November. New re- newly released records in the Ghislaine Maxwell case reveal correspondence with Epstein after she told a judge there were none. The Census Bureau will end counting early. Mike Pompeo is hit with a subpoena after failing to hand over documents in a Biden smear campaign. Kodak executives get a stock windfall from the Trump vaccine deal. Carter Page sued the Department of Justice and the Republican National Convention has barred all press from attending Trump's nomination. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hey. Hi. It's good to see your face. Yes. We are distanced at this boomerang table Mm -hmm. and it's the first time we've been in studio together. Uh, I needed a special setup because we got a special surprise later in the episode, mm-hmm. so I had to come over here, but it's so good to be here in person. Yeah, so you're six feet away, and we're yes, doing, and we're doing so. the thing. Yes, we are. Um, just wanted to let everyone know everything's been, been disinfected. We've increased our sanitization <laughs> in our facilities. Um, yes, your patronage has gone to the robot in the corner that yeah. comes and mists everything <laughs> with hand sanitizer and bleach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, We do have a lot of news uh, from the weekend, so today's show is a big one. Thanks to Amy Carrero, Josh Geltzer, and David Weissman for joining our live stream happy hour last Friday. Uh, Help us think of a theme for this week's party. Send your ideas along with your quarantine confessions, corrections, and good news stories to us at dailybeanspod.com. Speaking of good news, uh, Jordan Coburn, like uh, she said, has a new segment. Well, it's an old segment, a new old segment. She'll be interviewing the candidate running against Tom Cotton in Arkansas, Dan Whitfield. Uh, a Bernie Sanders-style progressive activist running as an independent. And finally, uh, I'll be chatting with former assistant director of the FBI, Frank Fagluzzi, about the infighting uh, in the Gang of Eight over releasing election interference intelligence, what the Republicans don't want you to know. And congratulations to Mandy Reeder, who's accepted a job at BuzzFeed to produce their news podcast, News O'Clock. She'll be popping in, though, to deliver good news here from time to time, and we'll continue to host our happy hour live streams on Fridays. We are so, so proud of her. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody. First up, the Department of Homeland Security has compiled intelligence reports about the work of American journalists covering protests in Portland, Oregon, in what current and former officials call an alarming use of government systems meant to share information about suspected terrorists and violent actors. Over the past week, the Department of Homeland Security Office of Intelligence and uh, their analysis department has, has disseminated three open source intelligence reports to federal law enforcement agencies, summarizing tweets by two journalists, a reporter from The New York Times and editor in chief of the blog Lawfare. And nothing they had published leaked unclassified documents about DHS operations in Portland. The intelligence reports obtained by Washington Post included written descriptions and images of the tweets and the number of times they had been liked or retweeted by others. 
After the Post published the story Thursday evening detailing the department's practices, the acting Homeland Security Secretary, Chad, uh, ordered the intelligence office to stop collecting information on journalists and announced an investigation into the matter. The person who compiled the list of journalists, named Murphy, has been reassigned, and Adam Schiff has said, quote, in light of recent public reports, we are concerned that Murphy may have provided incomplete and potentially misleading information to the committee staff during our recent oversight engagement. So we'll keep, keep you uh, posted on that. Um, up next, Jordan, you have a story uh, about... Nunez. Nunez. You're, yep. you're back on the you're back on the Nunez project. Yep. So uh, he did some shitty stuff this week. He declined to answer one of his colleagues questions about if he received a packet of bad information about Joe Biden from this guy, Andrei Durkach. He's a Kremlin linked Ukrainian lawmaker who is just a complete troll and is just making it his mission to take to like disseminate dirt on the Bidens and, and Hunter and Joe and everything. And so this is a group of documents that was supposedly set to, to multiple people in Congress. And when he was asked and called out for it by Rep. Sean Patrick Maloney, he's a Democrat of New York, he asked him about this, about the reporting that he had received this package. And Adam Schiff was like, do you care to respond? And then <laughs> Nunes was just like, no. <laughs> That's all he said. Yeah. Just he didn't even word. say he did or didn't. He didn't <laughs> no. want to respond to the question no. as to whether he did or yeah. didn't. Yeah, he just said... So that means he did. Right, exactly. And it's been confirmed. Uh, I mean, Durkach himself confirmed that he sent the package to Nunez. And yeah, he also sent one to Grassley and Lindsey Graham. And Nunez's office, they've declined to respond to any sort of inquiries or requests for comment about whether or not they received the package or whether they not knew what its contents were and whether or not aides in his office delivered it to the FBI for vetting, which is, you know, on both sides of the aisle, both Democrats and Republicans, that is understood to be typical practice when you get parcels from a foreign source, you know. So uh, just more Nunez being sketchy shit, Mm -hmm. you know. Yep, sounds about right. And uh, it appears Oleg Deripaska is suing Steve, Mm -hmm. the Treasury Secretary, Mnuchin, again, this time, asking the U.S. Treasury for the documents it used to place Victor Vexelberg on the OFAC sanctions list and the documents Mm -hmm. used to remove Deripaska from it in their deal that they made. Yeah. Um, No word yet from the Treasury, but we'll continue to follow this story. Uh, It seems like another example of Russians trying to use our court system to right. get documents from from the United States government. Right. Similar to like the one case that they were showing up for. Concord mm-hmm. Management. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. The one that quoted Tweety Bird and Sylvester right. and right. said fuck, like used a fuck bomb. Yeah. I just say a fuck bomb now. I don't even say the F bomb. Part of me does love to see them fighting with each other, though. <laughs> like both of my enemies engaged in combat. Mm. Get me the popcorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, let's see, another enemy but friend is Michael Cohen. He's free to speak to the media and write his tell-all book about the president while under home confinement. That's according to a new agreement he reached with federal authorities filed in court Thursday. The deal came a week after the federal judge ruled that the government improperly retaliated against Cohen when it sent him back to prison following his release on medical furlough. Cohen... Uh, was You know, as we know, we, he was taken back into custody earlier this month after he balked at restrictions on his ability to interact with the media and publish a book on Trump that he wrote from jail. Uh, but the deal Cohen reached with the Justice Department strips away those restrictions, paving the way for him to publish his book that he says includes graphic and unflattering details about Trump's behavior. <laughs> graphic uh, and unflattering. That's such like a an image-centered it description. Sounds like there's nudes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need that. Like, oh, God. Oh, no. 
Uh, and from the Washington Post, the U.S. Postal Service is experiencing days-long backlogs of mail across the country after a top Trump donor running the agency put in place new procedures described as cost-cutting efforts. This is alarming postal workers who warned that the policies could undermine their ability to deliver ballots in time for the November election. We started raising these alarm bells on July 14th mm-hmm. when the story dropped about his memo, DeJoy's memo going out to the Postal Service employees saying, yeah, just leave the mail behind if you can't get to it. Don't let your route get slowed slowed down, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, as President Trump ramps up his unfounded attacks on mail-in balloting uh, as being susceptible to widespread fraud, postal employees and union officials say the changes implemented by a Trump fundraiser turned Postmaster General DeJoy are contributing to a growing perception that mail delays are the result of a political effort to undermine absentee voting. Mm-hmm. You don't say. Right. Absentee voting, by the way, is something that Trump says is totally, completely fine and totally separate from mail-in voting. But it's the same. And, yeah. Um, the backlog comes as a president uh, who is willing to who is trailing uh, Joe Biden in the polls, has escalated his efforts to cast doubt on the integrity of the November election, which is expected to yield record numbers of mail-in ballots because of COVID. On Thursday, as we know, Trump floated the idea of delaying the November 3rd general election. I tweeted about it, and a bunch of people gave me shit. I don't care. (laughs) This is a notion that was widely condemned by Democrats and Republicans alike. He has repeatedly gone after the Postal Service, recently suggesting the agency can't be trusted to deliver ballots. Uh, Expect Trump attacks on the Postal Service and the election itself to continue between now and Election Day and make sure you're registered to vote and be proactive in finding out about the rules governing vote by mail in your district. Mm -hmm. If you're you're able to vote by mail, send that ballot in as soon as humanly possible. Or drop it off at a drop-off site if you have one where possible. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I do think there's a lot of varying rules from space to space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, every state has their own set of rules. Yeah, It's the swing states that want you to have your uh, ballot delivered and received by mm-hmm. election day, close mm-hmm. of business, or midnight in some cases. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what scares us. And we did talk about that report of NPR that a couple of key swing states lost 65,000 votes because the ballots arrived the next day. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then some of these people get their ballots the day of mm-hmm. some, or the day before or mm-hmm. like some some very unrealistic time frame for someone to actually work with the ballot. Just thinking about how a typical American actually engages in the voting process. It's like they get their thing, then they do the research, if they even do the research, and then they fill it out. And it's not enough time. And yeah, just definitely check. Yeah. And that 65,000 of missed votes was just in a couple of key swing states mm-hmm. in the primaries. Imagine what it would be like in the general. Mm-hmm. And from Adam Klausfeld in Courthouse News, from an explosive correspondence with Jeffrey Epstein to more allegations against powerful men like Bill Clinton, Alan Dershowitz, Prince Andrew, newly released files in an old lawsuit against Ghislaine Maxwell became public Thursday following a year-long records battle. One five-year-old email has what reads like a statement by Maxwell slamming the press and denying any participation in a sex trafficking scandal, except it was Epstein who wrote it. Uh, in a failed, bin, uh, failed bid to win bail, Maxwell claimed she had not been in touch with Epstein for more than a decade, an assertion undermined by this correspondence. Mm-hmm. Lies. Mm-hmm. Previously anonymous, Maxwell's prominent accuser, Virginia Roberts Jufree, has been known as Jane Doe III uh, before publicly claiming uh, to witness Clinton on Epstein's private island and to have been passed on for sex with Britain's Prince Andrew and Alan Dershowitz. Newly unsealed documents add more details to those claims, but we did know about them. Mm-hmm. One such, quote, one such powerful individual that Epstein forced then uh, minor Jane Doe three to have sexual relations with was former Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz, a close friend to Epstein and well-known criminal defense attorney. Epstein required Jane Doe three to have sexual relations with Dershowitz on numerous occasions while she was a minor, not only in Florida, but on private planes in New York, New Mexico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. 
This claim is not new. Jeffrey mm-hmm. uh, and Dershowitz have sued each other over the allegations, but the unsealed records show her alleging Dershowitz having self-interested motives to negotiate a controversial plan, a plea deal for Epstein that, that purported to shield his co-conspirators. So that non-prosecution agreement yeah. that gave immunity to all of yeah. her, her, you know, the people accused. And that disgusting man is allowed to walk on the congressional floor. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it defended Trump during the impeachment. Mm-hmm. In a much earlier document from 2011, Jeffrey gave an inter- uh, initial interview with her attorneys, Brad Edwards and Jack uh, Scarola, where she mentioned Clinton's name six times among the cast of characters she saw on Epstein's Island. Clinton denies any wrongdoing, though, and Jeffrey does not accuse him of misconduct, though she called sexual orgies a regular occurrence at Epstein's U.S. Virgin Islands home. President Trump also received a name check in the interview recounting how she met Maxwell in the first place. Quote, I was working at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's spa, and I was prompted by Ghislaine to come to Jeffrey's mansion in Palm Beach that afternoon and work some to make extra money and learn about massage. Um, so she told that her, to her lawyers in 2011, uh, an account she would continue to repeat in the future. Mm-hmm. Asked whether Prince Andrew would have information, Jeffrey told her lawyers in 2011, yes, he should know a lot of the truth. Again, I don't know how much he would be able to help you. Um, but seeing he's in a lot of trouble himself these days, I think he might, she added. So I think he may be valuable. I'm not too sure of him. So we'll have more on that story when the Ghislaine deposition is released. It's probably Monday. And the Census Bureau is cutting short critical door-knocking efforts in the 2020 census amid growing concerns among Democrats in Congress that the White House is pressuring the Bureau to wrap up counting soon for Mm -hmm. political gain. Mm -hmm. Attempts by the Bureau's workers to conduct in-person interviews for the census will end September 30th instead of October 31st. Um, The end date it indicated in April would be necessary to count every person living in the United States given major setbacks from the coronavirus pandemic. Three Census Bureau employees who were informed of the plans during separate internal meetings Thursday confirmed the new end date with NPR and all of the employees spoke on the condition of anonymity out of fear of losing their jobs. Quote, it's going to be impossible to complete the count in time, said one of the bureau employees. That's an area manager who oversees local census offices. I'm very fearful we're going to have a massive undercount. So, and then it's just, you know, if he can't make it happen through lawsuits in the Supreme Court, he'll just put sycophants at the heads of these agencies and fuck them up. Right. According to a press release from the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, Elliot Engel issued a subpoena to Secretary of State Mike Mike Mompeo. (laughs) (laughs) Pike Mompeo, as part of the committee's investigation of his apparent use of Department of State resources to advance political smear for a former Vice President Joe Biden. Quote, the subpoena demands all records purportedly dealing with the Bidens and Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings the department has produced to Republican-led Senate committees. Uh, Despite delivering Republican Senate chairman thousands of pages of records, the Department of State has refused Chairman Engel's request to provide duplicates to the Committee on Foreign Affairs. In addition, Chairman Engel's subpoena seeks internal State Department correspondence about, uh, about responding to Congress. And finally from Reuters, Eastman Kodak on Monday granted its executive chairman options for 1.75 million shares as a result of what a person familiar with the arrangement described as an understanding with its board that had previously neither been listed in his employment contract nor made public. Hmm. One day later, the administration of President Donald Trump announced a $765 million finance deal with Eastman Kodak, and in the days that followed, the stock soared, making those additional options now held by the chairman executive Jim, I think, Continenza, worth tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. The decision to grant Continenza options was never formalized or made into a binding agreement, which is why it was not disclosed previously. The options were granted to shield Continenza's overall stake in the company from being diluted by $100 million to convertible fund bond deal clinched in May 2019 to help Eastman Kodak stay afloat. Um, We will keep eyes on this story and any investigations linked to it. 
Oh, and one more thing. And this just came uh, to my attention. Uh, in a court filing from July 29th, we learned that Carter Page sued the Department of Justice back in October of 2019. His lawyer at the time tried to negotiate a settlement, but talk stalled. And that lawyer has now stepped down. And Page has hired corrupt a-hole and friend of Rudy Giuliani, John Pierce of Pierce Bainbridge, to represent him. Ugh. We'll keep you posted on that. Gross. Yeah, very gross. Um, Go away. I hate that dude. <laughs> Carter Page. God damn it. He's like he's like the smallest, most insignificant person that has grown to just have the most continued significance, and I fucking hate it. Nobody gives a fuck about you, bro. Yeah, except everybody, unfortunately. Hand it's him like... his hat. Hand him his floppy hat and show him the door. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll be right back with our old new segment, Flip It Blue, with Jordan interviewing Dan Whitfield, who is challenging Arkansas Republican Tom Cotton. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Regular listeners of the show probably heard us talk about our Helix mattresses. Jordan loves hers. Mandy and Joelle love theirs. I love mine. It solved my sleep issues because it was customized just for me, but I'm excited to share that Helix has launched a new company called Allform to bring you amazing customizable furniture for the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful sofas and chairs to your specifications and then delivers directly to you with fast, free shipping. You customize your own sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. With all form, you get to pick your fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant, perfect for the pod pets. You pick the color, the color of the legs, the finish, the sofa size, and the shape to make sure it's perfect for you. I picked out a three-seater sofa and customized it in whiskey-colored leather. I put a walnut leg finish on it and added a chaise lounge. It came in a couple of days. I put it together easily, and I absolutely love it. It's uh, super roomy, modern-looking, and the fact it was designed just to my specifications is the best. Normally, if you want to order a sofa, especially a custom one, it could take weeks or months, and you would need someone to assemble it in your home. But all form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can put it together yourself in a few minutes with no tools. Allform has gorgeous armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone, and you can start small and add on if your family or your house grows. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund, but you will love it. They also have a forever warranty, so literally forever. So find your perfect sofa. Check out allform.com slash dailybeans, and Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's allform.com slash dailybeans. I'm All right, so today, uh, for our 2020 first edition of Flip It Blue, we have Dan Whitfield with us. Dan, hello. Hey, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. So, folks, I talked about Dan Whitfield during some reporting on Tom Cotton not long ago and what a piece of shit he is. And, you know, I was wondering, why isn't there any Democrat running against him? And I looked and confirmed there there is no Democrat running against him. But Dan Whitfield is running against him as an independent. And then, Dan, you reached out to us and was like, hey, if you want to hear more about me, I'm happy to come on. And it birthed the perfect first episode in our uh, iteration of our Flip of Blue segment. So, we should probably start out with saying flip it blue maybe isn't the perfect term for you as you are running as an independent. So <laughs> really, really quick, if you just want to give an overview of maybe uh, why you registered as an independent and, you know, what that means to you and just a quick, quick intro of why you decided to run. Yeah, for sure. So my name's Dan Whitfield, and I'm the independent candidate running for United States Senate in Arkansas to unseat and replace Tom Cotton. Now, the reason that I'm running as an independent is because I believe that a representative should answer to their constituents and not to political party. 
Uh, we see all the time in politics where a representative might vote on legislation that's not directly going to benefit their constituents and what their constituents want them to do, but it's what their party wants them to do. So they go ahead and do it anyways. And by being an independent, that gives me the freedom not to be beholden to a party, but to be beholden to Arkansans. And I think that that's really important, uh, especially today where we have so many Republicans and Democrats that are taking money from the same exact billionaires, which blows my mind. It's so crazy. And that's why I'm running as an independent. I just feel like right now when our two parties are so polarly divided that I'll have a unique opportunity as an independent to go in and caucus with the Democrats and listen to their concerns and then turn around and go across the aisle and listen to the Republicans' concerns, relay the Democrats' concerns, and then mediate solutions back and forth so that I can uh, leverage what's best for our Kansans and my constituents as their representative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love hearing that. I'm a huge Bernie Sanders fan, so the independent label is one that I think of very fondly uh, for for a reason similar to what to what you are saying. But I think I I have to mention the Arkansas Democratic Party has just really correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they really the botched their <laughs> opera. Yes. Yes. So they had, they had Joshua Mahoney, right. Who was all set up to be their the democratic challenger to Tom Cotton. And then he winds up dropping out of the race, you know, like almost moments after uh, that, that filing close, that deadline closes. And now if, if my research uh, is correct, there's apparently him giving the reason as a like family member or close person close to him being sick as his reason for dropping out made it so the Democratic Party can't replace him because the only way they could have replaced him is if he himself had said that he was sick and that was why he was dropping out. Is that correct? That's what the media reported. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So I really i I wanted to get your quick opinion on on that that whole botch situation before I ask you some, you know, Dan specific questions, if you wouldn't mind giving me your opinion on that. Yeah, sure. So number one, the GOP is super corrupt. (laughs) Um, They actually, so what happened? Yeah. Uh, So let's go back a year from today. Uh, Last year, the Arkansas GOP state legislators, one of them was asked a favor by my opponent, Tom Cotton to change the state laws requiring a third party to need a 3% um, 3 of the registered Arkansans voters that vote in the last governor race at a maximum of 10,000 signatures to get on the ballot. So that means that people only needed 10,000 signatures to run as a third party to get on the ballot. Well, they changed the law to remove the 10,000 cap. So last summer, they changed the law so that a third party would need 26,000 signatures, which is 3%, uh, roughly 26,000. I think mm-hmm. it's like 26,740 or something like that. Now, mm-hmm. when the GOP got this law pushed through to make it almost three times as hard for an independent and a libertarian and a Green Party candidate to get ballot access, they already had dirt on the Democrat. They already knew that they were going to get the Democrat off the ballot. And now they were trying to prevent third parties from getting on the ballot as well, which is super corrupt. You should never be trying to keep people off the ballot. (laughs) 
Right. Right. Well, and everywhere we look, it seems in this race and all the people that are involved in it, you know, there's multiple concerted efforts to do that, to prevent anybody from running against him and guaranteeing an uncontested race. And that, I think, is something that you have very intimate experience with right now. And I was wondering if you could give a quick synopsis of what, uh, you know, your battle has been like trying to get on the ballot in November. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing the GOP did was they tried to raise the signature requirements. And then the Libertarian Party sued the Secretary of State, John Thurston, and they won their lawsuit. And they were actually get, uh, able to get the signature reduction back down to 10,000 signatures for ballot access. Um, last, I think it was on November 11th, which was our filing deadline here in Arkansas of 2019, one hour after the filing deadline, the GOP issued a press release stating that they were launching an investigation into fraudulent FEC filings by the Democratic candidate Josh Mahoney. One hour after that, Josh Mahoney withdrew from the race without asking his party or even talking to the party first, the state party officials. Right. And, and then he left basically with you know, a United States Senate race with no Democrat in the race. Um, it, it's really, honestly, it's terrible how all of that happened. Um, he was allegedly pocketing donations from a different campaign, and they found this dirt on him. So the DPA, the Democratic Party of Arkansas, they should have vetted their candidate better. They had no business putting Josh Mahoney up against Tom Cotton in the first place since he had just lost to Steve Womack in the House um, two years mm -hmm. before, he really had no chance to be cotton, but they just wanted someone there. Um, so they dropped the ball in a bunch of places. And I'm hoping that throughout this whole debacle of the 2020 elections, the Democratic Party will be able to kind of get things together, get their leadership straightened out and start rebuilding their party to be what a, you know, what the Democratic Party of Arkansas was back in the days when they had Bill Clinton over here and when the Democrats were really strong and ran a good government. But that's a different story. So as far as me, um, as an independent candidate, I had a fixed collection period to get my 10,000 signatures. Our fixed collection period was between February 1st and May 1st of 2020, which unfortunately, COVID-19. Right. Um, <laughs> so on March 13th, about 40% of the time into our collection period, the governor, Asa Hutchinson, issued orders of the state declaring a state of emergency and implementing social distancing and banning large gatherings. So this really, it severely burdened our ability to collect signatures to get ballot access. We were only able to get uh, 6,514 signatures because of this. So we reached out to the governor first, asked him if he would give us an extension, a signature reduction, or allow us to collect signatures um, digitally, and he ignored our letter. Um, I drafted a letter, and I actually had five other independent candidates running in the state of Arkansas who were having issues getting their signatures because of COVID-19. Sorry, I'm talking really fast. It's just a lot to go through. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I appreciate it. No worries. <laughs> and then... Um, so I drafted the letter. We all signed it, sent it to the governor. He ignored us. So I sent the letter to the Secretary of State, John Thurston. He ignored us. I ended up sending it three separate times certified to make sure he got it. And he still never responded. So I reached out to his office after a few weeks. And then uh, finally, one of his staff members told me that the Secretary of State, the head of elections, does not have the authority to do anything like that. So I am suing the Secretary of State, John Thurston, for ballot access at this point, And his defense counsel is the Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. All right. Stopping point number one. Fun fact. 
<laughs> the Governor Asa Hutchinson, Secretary of State John Thurston, and Attorney General Leslie Rutledge have all taken money from my opponent, Tom Cotton, in the form of campaign contributions. Mm-hmm. And not only from his personal campaign contributions, Tom Cotton even created a political action committee, a PAC, and donated to them all through that as well. <laughs> the Rangers lead wow. the way PAC. Yeah. So already we're looking at internal corruption and uh, possible ethical implications of people using their elected positions to help their buddy who gave them donations. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually had drafted all this into a letter and sent it to the Arkansas Ethics Committee uh, just a few days ago. Um, I never once in the email to the Arkansas Ethics Committee mentioned voter suppression, but the response I got was, we don't handle voter suppression. This is what we handle. Have a good day. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, I'm wow. glad you recognize what voter suppression looks like and you can acknowledge that. Right. But <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh so where we're at right now is we are in a lawsuit. Um, we're suing for ballot access. We had our first day in court on May 27th and uh, the day in court lasts about nine hours. My cross-examination from the attorney general's office was about two hours and I built a very, very strong case. And if you go to replacetomcotton.com, click on the ballot access tab. I have every one of our court documents uploaded for everyone to read through, including the transcripts of the court hearing. So that's always fun to go through. Legal papers, yeah, yay. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, ac- actually, this is the right podcast for that. We have some some legal nerds, mostly, I would say. Oh, so I guarantee yeah. they'll take you up on that. Yes. <laughs> you should have fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I find this, you know, I, I find your your fight to be so interesting and, and so necessary right now, especially when it's up against someone like Tom Cotton. He's just a self-outed racist. His stances on prison industrial complex issues and immigration and ju- I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. He's he's awful. He's a rising star right now in terms of, you know, Trump's whole train of disgusting like I just can't. He's one of the worst. So so I I personally appreciate, you know, your your very principled fight to try to get this sort of like, you know, non-competitive races uh, off of the table, because when that's consistently happening, clearly it's because there's corruption in your state, which I know Arkansas has a massive issue with. Arkansas didn't used to always be this red. It was something that changed in relatively recent times. And um on that topic, I, I know I know there's so much that we could dive into, so I appreciate you letting us keep this a little bit brief, and we'd, we'd love to continue the conversation uh-huh. in a, maybe in a different space or at a different time. But before I let you go... I do have one more thing, if you have one second. I have one more thing I yes. would love to add. Just a fun fact. Please, please, so please, the please. Arkansas yes. Ethics Committee is comprised of a board of five people, and one of the people was assigned by the Governor Asa Hutchinson, and a second one was assigned by the Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. So two out of the five of them were assigned by these people <laughs> wow yeah and I yeah sorry I heard you... no 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 it's okay again i'm sorry i know there like the amount of facts that go into your case specifically and everything we could really talk about it for a full hour and i yeah. also know that there was there was that visit that bill barr just made to arkansas right to talk with tom cotton yes the united states attorney general just met with my opponent and my defense uh, the defendant's defense counsel and my defendant and the governor and all those people behind like a closed door meeting. It's crazy. Right. There's so many questions and I hope so many answers that eventually come out. But uh, setting the court proceedings to the side just for a second, if you get elected, Uh what are what are some of your main policy issues and what could your constituents expect from you? 
Absolutely. So I'm offering a lot of really cool new ideas. Number one, I'm going to continue doing my weekly live stream uh, Q&A and update every Saturday night at 6 p.m. Central, where I'll talk about what's going on in the legislative process, and I'll answer any questions people have. I've already uh, I've pledged to hold 12 town halls per year where I will come to Arkansas and talk in different cities to listen to my constituents' concerns. That way I can better represent them and extend their voices into the legislative process. I'll also be submitting 12 bills per year, a bill every month. That was the idea of a constituent where people can go online, submit an idea, and people can vote on which ideas are good and bad. And I'll submit an idea, basically bills created by Arkansans to help bring the voice of Arkansans into the legislative process. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of really cool ideas. I'd say my top policies are going to be Medicare for all is my big number one. It's super important. We know medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in America. And we know mm -hmm. that 70% of those people have medical insurance. They're doing everything right. They're paying their bills. They get sick and they lose everything. And that's mm -hmm. a problem. And we have to fix that. Yeah. And here in Arkansas, where the average household income is $40,000 a year, that means the average Arkansan family as one of the poorest states um, pays $440 per year to cover their entire family's medical vision and dental, and they don't have to pay any more insurance premiums, deductibles, or copays. So it'll save Arkansans tons of money. Um, I do support the federal decriminalization of cannabis, including nationally expunging cannabis-related charges. And a good reason that that's really important here in Arkansas is we just approved a new prison to be built for $169 million to house 500 people. So in a state where one in four children go to bed with a hungry stomach, where a quarter of children in Arkansas are living in poverty, we could save $169 million to feed hungry kids by expunging 500 nonviolent cannabis convictions. I mean, that's just common sense to me. Yeah, I agree with you on that for sure. <laughs> but I mean, my policy page, like I said, I have a lot of different policies. I keep getting told pick two or three and focus on those. But that's an old way of politics. That's an old way of thinking. We have a lot of problems and we have to address them all. So definitely check out replacetomcotton.com. Click on the policy tab. You can read through as much as you want until you get bored of reading. Um, the website's awesome. actually still being updated. I'm working on doing short videos of each policy. So you can just watch a short video of me, hello, wearing a tie, talking <laughs> about policy instead of reading. <laughs> I love that. And is that website the best website to go to just find any information on you in your run? Yeah. Yep. Replacedomcotton.com. You can click meet Dan. Um, I wrote a short autobiography. You can learn about me, how I grew up and how I became who I am today. My policy tab, media tab, it's going to have some different pictures from campaign events. Um, all of my interviews are on the media tab. Uh, all of my live streams are updated. There's like more than 50 hours of live streams, of uh, Q&As and stuff like that on there. So you can kind of get to know me. Um, a little bit better. And then uh, ballot access, of course, that tab has all of our legal documents uploaded so you can kind of see what was going on through the process. My expenses tab, you can actually see where I've spent every single penny that has been donated to my campaign to provide 100% complete financial transparency, which I think is super important. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you coming on for, you know, you're our first flip it blue candidate uh, for 2020. And <laughs> we're so excited. Yes, we're so excited to keep this going. And uh, I appreciate, you know, you reaching out to us when we had mentioned your name on our podcast. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. I really encourage everybody to, uh, at the very least, just stay stay up on the details of what's going on, I think, in Arkansas, because, you know, 
like you said, there's a lot of corruption that's happening in that state and people need to be made aware of it. And you are putting in the effort to make people aware of it and you're fighting. And uh, I, I am I am a fan of that in general. So, Dan Whitfield, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jordan. It's my honor. Thank you guys so much for having me. And if you ever want to chat again, just give me a holler. Sounds great. Thanks, Dan. We'll be right back after this quick word with a discussion between AG and former FBI Assistant Director Frank Figluzzi about rare infighting within the bipartisan Gang of Eight. Stay with us. Hey friends, AG here. Today's Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. CBD is very popular now. You can find it popping up in everything from coffee and supplements to even pet treats. And if you're wondering who you could trust and how to tell what's good and what's not, look no further than Sunsoil CBD. Transparency and quality control are what set them apart from everyone else. And with Sunsoil, you know exactly what's in every bottle and where it came from. So there's no second guessing because they only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of the products have just two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Sunsoil farms all of their own hemp in their Green Mountain Farms of Vermont, and they extract the CBD themselves, and they test for quality and purity every step. They never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. And because they do everything in-house and keep their products simple, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are usually half the price of other uh, ingestible CBD brands. Every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and coconut oil. I like to put a few of the oil drops in my morning coffee, or I'll take a soft gel before getting some good night's sleep. One of the best things about Sunsoil Sunsoil is that it's the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, and they'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and the planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So last week, we had reported on some infighting in the Gang of Eight over election interference intelligence releases and the reporting, and that Republicans wanted to limit the release of the information while Democrats are calling for more transparency as the election draws near. And joining me today to discuss the issue is former Assistant Director of the FBI for Counterintelligence and NBC News National Security Contributor Frank Fagluzzi. Frank, thanks for talking with me today. Hey, thanks for having me, AG. This is a hot topic, and it's going to stay hot right through November. Yeah, and you are you have so much experience with counterintelligence that I figured you might would be the perfect person to ask these questions because the new chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee since Burr had to step down amid investigations into his stock deals is Marco Rubio. And Rubio is saying releasing intelligence about election interference is a bad look and harmful for the country because it's it would be politicizing it and you know publicizing it. And how how do you respond to to that to to somebody uh, like Marco Rubio, uh, discouraging the release of information on election interference coming up in 2020. So, look, I, I, I think I've got to look at this through two sides. One is, um, from my professional career, there's there's little that gets me more perturbed than the politicization of intelligence. And it's just a reality of today's world that it's almost inevitable so I get really concerned about, um, you know, intel being twisted and shaped and and suppressed, I think, in this case, which is what Rubio and the GOP seems to want to do. But on the other hand, AG, I also understand from where I used to sit in the FBI that, you know, you are damned if you do and damned if you don't. And almost any release of intelligence real time on the election is going to result in uh, political perceptions and is going to further erode whatever trust um, barely is left 
um, in the intelligence community or among the among the population in terms of their perception of the intelligence community. So I'm looking at this right now, you know, wondering what I would be doing if I were in my previous seat at the FBI. And I, I still know these people at uh, DNI and at the National Counterintelligence Executive level. I've worked with them and I I can only imagine the kind of you know, once burned, twice shy uh, mindset that's going on right now. Yeah. And how how does this kind of thing sort of square with the administration's release of documents that they cherry picked to bolster their argument that the Russia investigation was open without pretense? I mean, it seems, you know, and I, I think one of them led to the unmasking of a of an informant. I don't understand how on one hand, out of one side of their mouth, they can say, we don't need to release information publicly. It's, 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 you know, it's politicization. And then out of the other side of their mouth, release these sort of, these sorts of documents. Yeah. Th- I, I love this question because here's the answer. Um, if you, if you're, if anybody's wondering why the GOP is very concerned about um, substantive releases of intelligence about what foreign adversaries are doing right now to mess with our election. You need only read the reports coming out of the briefing of the Gang of Eight um, this past week um, and Nancy Pelosi's uh, very uh, robust concerns uh, expressed to Bill Evanina, who is essentially the head of counterintelligence across the agencies. And here's what he said, finally, here's what the reports say he finally conceded in that meeting. And it was that he conceded that Russia's efforts are indeed on behalf of President Trump. And so, you you know, so now you've got this dueling narrative going on that, hey, uh, uh, Barr and his John Durham investigation, which he's going to pull out of his pocket sometime in the next 60 to 90 days, um, you know, is all going to find that, hey, the Russia inquiry was a hoax. It's made up. Russia never wanted to help Trump. It was all it was all improperly predicated. And then you've got this reality that we're experiencing. Here we go again, um, as we did in 2016, that the Russians are right now trying to help Trump. So you're going to have this suppression effort going on and the true counterintelligence professionals. And by the way, good news. Uh, Bill Evanina is one of those career counterintelligence professionals that came up through the FBI. Um, he, you know, they're going to they're going to say, look, there's things that the public needs to know right now um, about their election, their social media feed, the hacking and and propaganda that's going on. And then you're going to see efforts to suppress that. Um, and and this is this is the dilemma. And what did we learn in 2016 on how to handle this? Well. I hope we learned something. And I hope one of the things we learned was that staying quiet about it and the FBI's approach to, hey, let's take the least intrusive approach. Let's investigate this quietly about the Trump campaign. We don't want to screw anything up. Well, God darn it, it screwed everything up. And and so transparency is needed. But here's the dilemma. As a professional, you've got to protect sources and methods. The second you come out and say, Hey, look at this shiny object over here. This is a Russian or Chinese or Iranian effort. Are you giving up uh, top secret sources and methods? Um, if you if you start playing whack-a-mole, which is, hey, here's a social uh, media, maybe a Twitter feed that's all about the Russian intelligence service coming at us. Let's whack that out of out of existence. 
let's take it down, are you now blinding yourself to something that you at least can watch and monitor? Same thing goes for hacking that's going on. There were, you know, Nancy Pelosi is saying that, hey, um, everything coming at us is way too vague. But I have to tell you something. I've read and reread the July 24th press release that's coming out of uh, the DNI's office. And I think it's I think it's filled with scary stuff. That's not too vague. I, here's what I read in it. Um, right now, foreign adversaries are compromising the private communications of U.S. political campaigns, candidates, and other targets. Holy cow. They're, you mean like their emails and their phone calls are being compromised? Here's what the next line says. Um, also, our adversaries are compromising, are trying to compromise election infrastructure. Wow. Like, like the networks and servers and routers that go into how we vote. And monitoring malicious, and they're, they're monitoring malicious cyber actors trying to gain access to state and federal networks. So they make a they make a distinction. Every word counts in these press releases, as you know. So they, they talk about foreign adversaries, and then they use a different phrase, malicious cyber actors. So wait a minute, people you aren't sure are state-sponsored? Are these kids? Are they criminal hackers? Are they terrorist groups? Is it a mystery? And they're and they're they're attacking state and federal networks, including those responsible for managing elections. So there's a in, in what is being called a vague press release. I'm telling you, there's enough in there to scare everybody. Yeah, and and of course the Senate isn't doing anything um, as far as you know sending out money to the states for election protection and. Uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. And then, of course, on the House side now, we have Devin Nunes refusing to answer questions whether or not he's receiving information from a pro-Russian Ukrainian official about the Bidens. And, of course, the whole Ron Johnson uh, Senate Intel uh, Committee, one of the not the Intel Committee, but one of the other committees that he's on, uh, chairs uh, talking about, you know, the, the Burisma and the Biden investigation. It, but so the, those things were fine. They're fine to politicize and, and, and sort of avoid answering questions, uh, avoid answering questions about. Yeah. I, I, I'm so th this we'd be remiss if we thought this was just about uh, Russia, China and Iran, who were singled out in this press release. Because you're right, there's there are other nations. U Ukraine is wrapped up in this bad factions, pro-Russia factions in Ukraine. And and so in that same press release, July 24th, we see reference to what they call influence measures um, in social and traditional media. Very interesting distinction there. Like you mean the newspaper we pick up every day, traditional media to sway U.S. voters preference and perspectives and undermine confidence in our democratic process. So, yeah, I, I think that's all disinformation being fed to Congress and various committees is all part of this. And then when you remember back to uh, A.G. Barr kind of stammering when he testified on the Hill and when they asked him about, hey, is it ever OK to take foreign help uh, during a campaign? And he, he seemed to not be able to get that answer out. Right. Uh, well, it depends on the help. Maybe maybe that's what he's talking about is, yeah, well, we'll take dirt. We'll take we'll take nonsense. We'll take fabricated dirt from other other powers if it helps us. So this is a mess. And more than ever before, we're going to have to pay attention uh, very closely on every nuance and word that's coming out of the Hill, coming out of the DNI, coming out of uh, Bill Evanina and the counterintelligence office. 
at the DNI. Bad, bad, bad times coming up. And again, putting myself um, in my old position, if I were doing this now, I make an analogy to the fight against terrorism and Al-Qaeda and what we experienced post 9-11 and, and the dilemma of, do you play whack-a-mole with Al-Qaeda sites, chat rooms, blogs, when you say, hey, this is a site being used by bad Al-Qaeda actors to chat with each other, should we take it down? Should we leave it up and go undercover in it? Should we monitor it? If you take it down, are we blind? Should we tell the public about it? Should we tell the Silicon Valley uh, social media platforms that they're being exploited? All of this is coming, I'm having flashbacks of this um, with, regard, with regard to our election, because the same dilemma is going to apply. Mm-hmm. Now, remind us real quick who the Gang of Eight is and why it's unusual for them to be at odds with each other. We haven't seen anything like this, like certainly not to this level before. Yeah, you've got so you've got the 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 two senior leaders uh, in the House. You've got the the chair and co-chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, the chair and co-chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Um, the, the the speaker is there, and and. Traditionally, when they're given classified intelligence, they've treated it as mature adults, understanding sources and methods, not politicizing it. But instead, um, when you're ramping up to a a vote in a couple of months, you're going to see like never before this effort to release on one side and suppress. And, And here's my message there. Be careful what you ask for. You might get it because it... You know, it's not unthinkable that China might be trying to help Biden right now. And and that and, you know, Russia's trying to help Trump. We already have, have seen that conceded. Um, Iran's trying to screw us up just on a policy level. I think North Korea wants to hurt Trump, is my gut telling me. So, you know, when, when Democrats say we want everything out, OK, I, I'd like everything out, too as long as we don't compromise sources and methods. Mm-hmm. Um, but just un- just understand that it could end up being exploited politically by both sides of the fence here. Yeah, and I think uh, most people that I would at least uh, associate myself with are fine with that. It would be like, yeah, I want everything on Epstein. I don't care if it exposes or implicates Trump or Bill Clinton or anybody uh, for that matter. We just sort of want to know the truth. Um, and then wh- I have one final question for you. Uh, reading news now that the Republican National Convention is not allowing the press in. Do you have any f- uh, ideas as to why that is? Well, and and even as we as as I was dialing you up here uh, for our call, boy, that that's going to age me right there. That phrase, dialing you up, when you're doing that. <laughs> I know. The other day I said I was going to tape record something, and I think <laughs> I know. That's why when I say roll down your window, people look at me. What what does that mean? Although the hand crank motion is still the international symbol for roll your window down. That's true. When I, as I was prepping for this call, I just saw a news report saying, you know, this you want to talk about dis, a perception of disorganization and chaos. Uh, I was just seeing the campaign officials saying, hey, we haven't figured this out yet. We, we don't know. So here's what my gut tells me, A.G., that Trump is really livid at the media right now and doesn't want anything covered that could show him as messed up, tripping, falling, stuttering. Um, and, and so they haven't figured it out yet. It's good. It, they said it's going to be live streamed. 
We'll see. They're going to use the virus perhaps as a cover for limiting attendance. But of course, we know there's press conferences all the time in the White House briefing room. So that's not the problem. Um, it's it's they don't they really don't want the American people seeing how sausage is made here. And I think I think there's other concerns that when you put the media in such close proximity to GOP uh, elected officials and campaign officials, some some unfortunate comments are going to be made. It's like grabbing a senator or a Congress member in the hallway in, in, in the Capitol. Inevitably, someone's going to say, yeah, Trump's not the greatest candidate in the world, or gosh, I wish he hadn't said that. Yeah. And now you've got a kind of off-the-cuff comment that happens when you put reporters in close, in close proximity to politicians. And, and I think he's going to try to suppress that. Yeah, but there's a lot of uh, unintended beneficial consequences for the Republican Party coming out of the coronavirus pandemic. Sort of makes you question their motives for why they aren't doing anything to stop it. But we aren't going to go down that rabbit hole. I just want to thank you for coming on and talking to us about about this infighting. And I hope you'll come back and join us because, like you said, it, it's a hot topic. It's going to heat up and it's going to get worse. And I, I'm also interested to see if this uh, will have any uh, hamper will hamper at all the forthcoming release of volume five of the Senate Intel report on Russian interference, which is said to be like a thousand pages. It's supposed to be in the editing phase. And they said that we're going to release it before the Senate recessed mid-month. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, stay tuned. You're going to this going to be a busy week. You'll, you'll see the Senate, uh, a larger group of uh, Senate lawmakers briefed on the Intel. And then you'll see a kind of redacted press release to the public. I think we're going to start seeing almost weekly press releases telling us um, how bad it's getting with foreign adversaries interfering with the election. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, former uh, assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, NBC correspondent, Frank Fagluzzi, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back after this quick break with some good news. Stay with us. Hey friends, AG here. This segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by FitBod. I know a lot of us are quarantining at home right now, and it might not be as, you know, we might not be as active as usual or exercising as much as we want to. But in this pandemic, it's more important to get moving and not neglect your health and fitness. So whether you're new to the gym or you've been lifting weights for years, it can always still be hard to find the right workout program and stick to it. But with FitBod, you get a truly personalized fitness program that adapts to you. FitBod is a smart fitness app that takes all the guesswork out of planning your workouts. Their algorithm factors in your goals, experience level, equipment, workout duration, and muscle recovery to intelligently craft the perfect total body workout program just for you. With each workout, the app learns your abilities and plans workouts designed to maximize your results. I love that FitBod cycles new exercises into the mix, keeps uh, the workouts fun and fresh so I never get bored. And they keep it balanced too. They never overwork a muscle group so I'm not too sore for the next workout and I'm always ready for the next one. Uh, but because there's so much variety and the workouts are constantly changing and rotating, I don't get bored like I said and so therefore I've stuck with it for longer than I usually do with other exercise plans. With FitBot, I'm always looking forward to the next workout and I can already see results. FitBot is super easy to use. They even have HD video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. It's perfect for anyone who's looking for better fitness results, whether your goal is general fitness, feeling better, mental health, or strength training, or, you know, Olympic weightlifting, whatever your thing is, no pressure. No equipment, no worries. FitBot has body weight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go. And it integrates with other fitness and health apps like Apple Health, Fitbit, and Strava. Personalized training can be tough on the budget, but not FitBot. It's only $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. Get personalized fitness plans that uh, help you work out smarter at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. Try FitBod for one month for free when you sign up today at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. That's one free month when you sign up at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're on good news as 
And joining me today for the Good News Block is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello, I'm doing great. It's so nice to see your face. It is. It's funny saying the same thing I always say when we're not in the same room. I know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Setting is not the issue. No. No, it's not. Uh, But you wanted to start. I wanted you to open up with this piece of good news. Yeah. So we've been reporting on Grace, who is the uh, uh, minor who has been put in detention for not doing her homework. And that was supposedly a violation of her parole. And there was a Michigan judge that was just being super harsh on her. And despite pleas, refused to do the reasonable thing, which is to get Grace home and um, with her family. And... What has happened is she, uh, Michigan Court of Appeals, ordered her immediate release from that detention facility in Detroit. This happened on Friday. This is a a, a big win. It's something that shouldn't have even happened in the first place. I, I feel... You know, the world knows so many details about Grace's life and, and her history, and she's not even an adult yet, and it all sits very wrong with me, and I hate that it's even, like I said, something that everyone knows about so uh, intimately, because it should not have just happened in the first place. It's really dehumanizing. But she is out. Um, she spent 78 days at the Children's Village. This was after that Oakland County Family Court judge found out uh, found that she had violated her probation and this the decision that came on friday came a week after that judge denied grace's lawyer's request to set her free we reported that that was when she was like well let's just see how she's doing in the program you know before we like really assess whether it makes sense or not just complete bullshit it's just like let her fucking go home there's no reason for her to be stuck in this facility and so that happened uh, that's a win. She gets to stay at home and be at home pending the appeal of Brennan. That's the judge, the family judge, uh, Brennan's decision. So still not over, but she's she's home right now. Yeah, it's such a weird reason not to let her go. That would be like if somebody got somebody in prison got exonerated on DNA and they're like, well, we're not going to let him out right now because you just started an associate's degree program. <laughs> exactly. So You're really gonna... thriving here in these cement walls. <laughs> we're going to let him finish that program. Uh, because we think, you know, uh, no. Yeah, it really just seems like this white-ass judge has this obsession with keeping her, like, basically incarcerated. It's, like, really fucking weird. It's very weird. Yeah. And wrong. Yeah. So I'm glad she's home. Me too. Uh, another little bit of good news here locally from our little hometown here. We have the Museum of Man in Balboa Park, and they have changed their name. Long overdue, uh, but a lot of people really weren't, you know, there's there's other things going on. But they have changed their name from the Museum of Man to the Museum of Us. And I think that that's wonderful. And they did it for the reason of being more inclusive. Yeah. So. Thanks, too. My friend uh, that I used to, like, call out for saying problematic words, he sent me a picture of it with the headline, Balboa Park's Museum of Man has changed its name to the Museum of Us. And he writes it to me. And he goes, did you do this? Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> did you do this? Yeah. That is so funny. Uh, I would have been proud if you had. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's get to some uh, listener good news. First in from Mary, pronoun she, her. Longtime listener here, much love to you all. AG, I love your voice, and I'll clearly you explain this awful bullshit, but still find a way to keep us entertained and inspired. Jordan, your empathy and love of butts makes me feel like we could totally be friends in Mm -hmm. real life. Yay! The good news. My sister moved in the middle of the pandemic, which was insane and hard, especially with a toddler, but now she's so much closer to me. Every weekend, we take night for mommy meetings, uh, take a night for mommy meetings, which is basically just us sitting and drinking and talking. (laughs) She's my best friend and fellow beans lover. I introduced her shortly after I discovered you, and we often discuss your content. Shout out to Megs and all the wonderful, powerful women. I'm lucky to know. That's awesome. Yes. Shout out indeed. Mommy meetings. Totally. Love it. 
Uh, next up from Anonymous, pronoun she, her. She says, five years ago, I was diagnosed with mixed connective tissue disease, which is one of those diseases that they always run through as a possible diagnosis on house. <laughs> it's super painful, even with the awesome care of several fantastic doctors. I quit the PhD program I was in as a result of the disease. And this March, I was ready to quit my job, too, and begin the arduous task of applying for disability. Then... Our entire agency started working from home as a result of the coronavirus. Working from home, I felt much better. I could get a few extra hours of sleep and I could nap when I needed to. Well, this week we were informed that since our agency had typically or had actually improved productivity since we started working from home, 90% telework is going to be a permanent option for everyone in my position. Mm. So I get to keep my job and take care of my health. That is massive good news. That's so awesome. Fuck yes, dude. That mixed, yeah, mixed connective tissue disease. That has to be so hard to 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 mitigate and cope with, and that you know that they've that they've decided. You know, I I, I wish that it didn't take an increase in productivity right. to just to, to give that to you. Yeah, exactly. But it's good news nonetheless, and I'm super happy that you get to do that. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, next up from Lenny, pronouns she, her, AG, Jordan, and Mandy. A friend recommended me to your podcast a couple months before COVID hit, and I can't express to you how much kinship and laughter you have brought to me every day since then. This good news story is going to start off rough, but I promise it gets better. Three years ago, I was 29 uh, then, 32 now. I was living in, up in Oakland, California, making great money at my dream social work job while surrounded by an amazing queer community. Unexpectedly, my younger brother died and everything fell apart. Completely hopeless and devastated, I moved in with my parents uh, back home in North Georgia. Because of limited social work jobs in the area, positions I would otherwise qualify for required a master's, so I couldn't find work for six months. I decided to go back to school for my MSW while working full-time underemployed. I am sure it's no surprise that absolutely no one would recommend working full-time while getting a (laughs) master's. I had no time, but at least I was too busy to be sad. I figured life would start again when I was finished, and... Maybe I would feel better by then. I spent the next two years in a very dark place. Now to the good news. Last November, I moved out of my parents' house into a sweet one-bedroom apartment and started dating my now girlfriend. I came out to my family, even though I've been queer for 12 years and never told them. And they have been very supportive. I was furloughed in April through June, but received $800 a week in unemployment uh, versus the usual $500 while keeping health insurance. I used the free time to stay safe at home, work on school, save money, and spend time with my girlfriend. Thanks to the Black Lives Matter protests, upon returning to work in June, my shitty boss was fired for posting something oh, racist on Facebook. God, yes. <laughs> Even though I was two tiers below this position, I was promoted because the two employees above me are in their 60s and want to retire. They encouraged me to apply, and it's, they've been so supportive. I got a 47% raise what? with my salary renegotiation when I finished my master's this fall. I love the new position, and I'm excited to make necessary structural changes to policies that my former shitty boss put in place. Fuck yes. Dude, you're taking a racist job? Yes. Yes. COVID has been so terrible for many people. I can't imagine having kids right now or living with roommates or being quarantined alone. I'm so grateful that it has um, uh, that it has impacted me positively. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, and I'm settling, settling into my career and looking at buying a house on the lake with my new salary. Oh, God. I plan on asking my amazing girlfriend, who, by the way, was my first serious and healthy relationship, to move in with me next year. Things honestly could not be better for me. Sorry for the length, but I've been sitting on this for a while. Thank you for making me laugh while delivering the news. Oh, Lenny. I love it when it all falls into place. Yes. God damn, dude. Mm -hmm. That is a satisfying piece of good news. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really, really sorry to hear about your brother, but Mm. but that's, that's so incredible that you're doing so well right now and you deserve it. 
Yeah, and I tell you what, um, boy, I was going through a dark time with PTS as well when I was getting my master's degree mm-hmm. um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And being able to work full time and going to school full time to get my master's degree kept my mind off mm-hmm. of uh, of that stuff. Not that that's necessarily the healthiest thing because right. you will have to cope with it at some point. Right. <laughs> um, but <Yeah. laughs> but it, w- it, it was beneficial at the time. So. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I d- I'm sorry that you had to go yeah, through that. Yeah, it's kind of like you get to put your whole massive <clears throat> anvil on a skateboard and drag it with you for a little bit instead yeah. of needing to like carry it in your arms. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. still a pain in the ass and still definitely there, but how you feeling? My anvil has wheels at least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. My dark cloud has a silver lining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, strong, strong people, all of you. Uh, next up from anonymous pronoun she her she says hi ladies you guys are awesome and i'm appreciative of what you do to keep us all going i had a burst of insight that i wanted to share with you but forgive me for the length and feel free to shorten it smiley face we're keeping it long (laughs) hearing president obama's eulogy had me mourning both john lewis and our nation i'm sure i'm not alone with the feeling that he shifted from honoring his friend and mentor to speaking to us as our president (laughs) yes god nevertheless i found myself feeling weepy So I gave myself a pep talk, and I thought maybe it's something someone else needs to hear. I'm a novelist, and stories are all structured roughly the same. There's a point in novels called The Dark Night of the Soul. This is when a protagonist loses everything she, he, had worked for throughout the story. It's the lowest point for our hero, but it's also an opportunity to dig in deep and recommit to the battle. We as a nation are in the dark night of our soul. Between now and November 3rd, we're going to feel as though we have lost everything. We're going to feel like we're at our lowest point, but we can't stay here. We have to move forward and prepare to face the next plot point, the final battle, all caps. Uh, It will be hard. We might even lose some allies along the way, but we have to fight for our lives because that's what's at stake, our lives. November 3rd is our final battle. It's the point when we have to roll up our sleeves and storm the castle. Well, polling places. We <laughs> Not there yet. Uh, we, we have to vote like we're fighting to the death. The next and final scene in novels is what is called the new normal. It's when the sky's clear and the sun comes out. It's when the smoke clears from the battlefields when we're rejoined by our friends. It's a point when we reflect back on everything we've learned through this long four-year journey. I hope we learn that democracy should never be taken for granted. I hope we learn that leadership, good leadership, involves a steady hand, an open heart, and the humility to surround ourselves with confident, capable experts. I hope that we welcome back those who fought on the other side, realizing that despite our differences, we are all Americans. Damn, Anonymous. I'm crying. (sighs) Yeah. The dark night of the soul, indeed. Yeah. Thank you for that beautiful um, comparison. Yes, well written and too. If you have any yeah, books, I want to yeah, read them. Makes, that makes sense that that was well <laughs> written. That'd be very funny if that was poorly written. I'm a novelist and <laughs> I like pillows and swimming. <laughs> Sorry, that's... <laughs> but no, that was the complete opposite. That that's was... a Greg Giraldo joke about Michael Phelps' book Beneath the Surface. Uh, <laughs> What's in there? I like pillows and swimming. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't catch that. I've, I, as you could tell, uh, as I've been quoting Greg Giraldo for multiple days now, I just listened to his, <laughs> it's on his the album. Mind. Yeah. It's on the mind. I went on a four-mile walk and I listened to his album. The, the, oh, it that's took, fun. It takes me about his album to go four miles. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fun. All right. And finally up from Steph, pronouns she, her. Since Jordan is now a proud puppy mom, she might be interested in the fact that in German, taking the dog for a walk is called Gassi Gan. We uh, don't have a dog, but you might enjoy this picture of Vanilla, a little floof on, on pause that my daughter gets to go gauzy with. Have a good weekend, ladies. 
Did you see the picture? Let me yeah. put on. Uh, uh, yes. Oh. oh gosh, those ears! It's a lady from Lady and the Tramp oh. Dog. Oh my goodness! Is that a um, King Charles Spaniel? I think they're called. I have no idea. I'm very bad oh. with dog breeds. So cute. We'll tweet that out in the newsletter. No. We'll tweet it out and send it out in the newsletter. <laughs> That's not right. Or um, they all just be congealed into the same, just freaking like web web burst. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, what incredible good news stories! Thank you so much for sending them. If you have a good news story, as small as it might seem, it, it could help m- multiple people. It could help many. So do us a favor, head to dailybeanspod.com. Send us your good news stories by clicking on contact. You can also sponsor patrons there. We still have a little bit of a wait list. You can sign up to be on the wait list to get a free sponsorship, too, if you're having a hard time, especially in COVID uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and uh, we have thanks to, gosh, I think we're at hundreds now of, of, of our patrons mm-hmm. who have purchased. Sponsored, yeah sponsorships for mm-hmm. for those who can't swing it right now that's very amazing cool. it is very amazing especially since we're going to be starting a new book club soon yes got a new perk the mary trump book club uh we are currently uh reading and rereading and, and getting our notes together for that and thanks to Stephen isaac for uh, sponsoring that and making that possible thank you he's so a patron much. of ours too without you guys seriously fucking hell we wouldn't be able to do anything no so we yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, the amount of like immense generosity we've received from day one. Yeah, thinking about like Anne. Yeah, like our original like helping us with some startup helpful. costs. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like our whole tale has just been a bunch of uh, plot points of generosity. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we are truly, I feel like a grassroots independent podcast, mm-hmm. and it's all because of you. Yeah. So. Definitely. I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, you you, can't, you say we keep you saying you keep us saying mm-hmm. seriously. So yeah. keep, keep doing that, please. We only have like 97 days and then we'll have three months of super shitty weirdness from the White House, <laughs> provided he doesn't resign God. before then. Him uh, as a fucking lame duck is terrifying. Oh, God. Lame fuck. Yes. I'm going to just call him the lame fuck. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I think it's ableist. ableist. Yeah. Definitely so. people would say that that is ableist. Not going to do that. Yeah. Never mind. I'll just call him a fuck. Yeah. That sounds great. Sound good? Sounds great to me. That's not ableist. You're just a piece of shit. You're just a fuck. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, any final thoughts? Yeah. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Did I surprise you with that question? No. Now I know it's coming. (laughs) Now I know it's coming, but I'm so focused on knowing that it's coming, and I'm like, no, I know exactly what I'm going to say, and it's that I have none. (laughs) Now it's a mind fuck, right? Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. Hey, at least you know the answer, and that's what matters. True. Um, but the old Nunez, no. <laughs> Nunez. Uh, yeah, what a dick. All right, well, we will uh, be back tomorrow, like like we always are. So until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>